0: Where do you want to eat lunch today? Is that not the way most fights in your house start? Maybe like it happens all the time, right? Everybody I know says that when it's when it, the decision comes, like okay, we're not going to cook. Where do you want to go? Inevitably, it gets a little hairy, doesn't it? For me, it's, it's easy, right? And my wife knows this, and Erica and Zach know this. When we go out to lunch together, I always say, if you want me to pick, there's only one place we're going, right? The Swallows, right? But if we're in northern Kentucky, Whitney knows that if we're in Cincinnati, we're going to go to Chipotle or Skyline. I'm a simple guy, right? Like, it's easy for me. So the rule always is, if you want me to pick, that's where we're going, so you have to pick. So then it, got, it starts where you go through this debate, and you're like, well, we just ate there the other night. We just had that this the other day. We don't go out to eat that often, but it feels like it, right? And, and then you're like, well, we can't go to that place because they kicked us out and told us we're never welcome again. And I don't know. Maybe that's some of you. We don't have that issue much. And, um, you know, like, and there's always this, this thing that happens and this, oh, I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Maybe we should just stay home. Okay, well, what do you want to cook? I don't know. What do you want to cook? I don't know. What sounds good? Like, it, it happens, right? Does that happen to you? It happens, it happens to everyone that I talk to. And there's always this eternal debate about something as trivial, let's be honest, eating is not trivial, okay? About something as seemingly trivial as going out to eat. And so then when, when the time comes for us to have to make bigger decisions on a broader basis, when the time comes for us to have to start talking about things and taking things more seriously, it's no wonder that there's a little bit of hesitation. We can't always decide where we're going to eat. So then when it comes to the big choices, when it comes to the big decisions in life about career, about schooling, about children, about family, when it comes to those things, there's no wonder that there's some hesitation because it's, it's hard, right? Like we're afraid. What if I make the wrong choice? What if, what if what I think and feel, what if someone thinks and feels differently about my choice? What if this doesn't go well? And it happens time and time again, doesn't it? It gets a little difficult for us to make the choice. Sometimes when it comes to making choices, you might feel like my older brother. I, I, I was not alive yet for this story, but it has lived in legend as long as I've been alive. My brother was six or seven years old, and he was trying to teach my little sister about electrical safety. And he said, now, Rebecca, one thing we don't ever do is we don't ever put things in the electrical socket. And so they're sitting down on the floor right next to a plug in the dining room. And he says, you don't want to put anything in there because you'll get hurt. And so what he does in his infinite seven-year-old wisdom is he reaches in his pocket and pulls out a penny and says, see, if I stick this penny in the socket, it's going to hurt. And you know, because you can imagine how dumb my older brother must be, right? You know the dude sticks the penny in the socket and goes, Oh, that hurts! Don't do it! And runs away, right? Like, like this, is, this is for some of you, this is your life. You're going, I know I shouldn't do this. I know I shouldn't say this. But that's what I'm going to do, right? And maybe for you, it was your mother begged and pleaded with you, Don't marry someone like your father. Don't laugh if your husband's in the room. And here you are 10 years down the road, and you realize it's the same person. Maybe, maybe for you, it was everybody in town said, so don't go work for that company. They're twisted. They're sick. They're not going to treat you well. And, and you went, and here you are a year out, and you're emplo- unemployed because everybody else knew Or maybe it was a major life decision that you were thinking about doing, and everyone you knew is saying, it's not going to work the way you think it is, but you always say this line, right? You say, no, it'll be different for me. And it happens time and time again. And so the question then comes, like, how do you know? When it comes to decisions, how in the world do you know, is it possible, can you even come close to making a right decision? Somebody said that experience is the greatest teacher. The problem is they always give the test before the lesson. And how true is it that we've learned so many times from our own mistakes, and we thought, if I'd only known then what I know now, how different would things be? My dad is old, right? He's really old. He's like in his 60s. And... Um, and so I, I know, knowing that he's smarter than me and wiser than me, I, he's the one I lean on very very consistently. And I'll call him and I'll say, Dad, I'm thinking about doing X, Y, Z. What should I do here? And he'll always say, almost, almost all the time, because <sighs> that's his noise that he makes. He'll say, I did that. I did X, Y, Z when I was your age. Let me tell you, it's not going to end well. Don't do it. And I'll say, but dad, I want to do XYZ. I think X, Y, Z is what's going to be best for my family. I think this is going to work out for us. And he's saying, I'm telling you, don't do it. And, I, and I almost, almost inevitably, every time, I'll say, why can't you just let me make my own mistakes? And he says, what was the point of me making them if you're going to make them anyway? And maybe, maybe that's you, right? Maybe you've heard this quote before. This is a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. Because no one lives long enough to make them all himself. And so here in in this week, as as we continue in this series called The Head and the Heart, we're talking about the wisdom that comes from our head. Last week we opened this series, Head and the Heart, with, with talking about the tongue. And Andrew was here and he talked about the words that we speak and speaking life into the people around us. And we're walking together as a church through the book of James this summer. And the book of James is perfect because it's written by a guy named James who's trying to write an instruction manual for believers in Jesus who are now living all over the known world. And he's trying to show them this is the, 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 the crossing the I and dotting the T's of Christianity. This is the how you do what we want you to do. And so we, we've talked for weeks now about what James is saying in this important how-to manual. And, and this week is probably one of the most important overall life lessons you can learn. And it's a lesson where James starts talking about wisdom. Because the, the, the fact of the matter is, is when it comes to our head and when it comes to our heart, we're in charge of who we are. But, the, but what happens out, outward of us is a reflection of what's going on inside of us. And so the decisions that we make and the choices that we come to are the ones we come to based on how we have conditioned our head and our heart to think and behave. Right, So often, if you've been faced with a major life decision, someone has probably said to you, well, what does your heart tell you to do? Or they'll say to you this line that you know that I hate more than any, which is, just do whatever makes yourself happy. And so if your heart and your head are conditioned to make decisions in that way, you're going to find some problems. But if you wanted to think a little differently, if you wanted to start thinking the way Jesus wants us to think, you start using wisdom. James says this about wisdom in James chapter 3. It's on page 1198 if you want to turn in this Bible in the pew in front of you, or it'll be on the screen, or you can grab it out on your smartphone. But James says this in James chapter 3, verse 13. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. In the meekness of wisdom, meek is not a very 2016 word, is it? In a world driven by so many different things, no one ever describes someone as meek in a positive way, do they? But the reality of the meekness of wisdom is meek is what we refer to as power under control. And so if someone's meek, it means they have ability, it means they have power, it means they have strength. But rather than just exert it willy-nilly, rather than just lash out, rather than do whatever they want, their meekness is them controlling the power and the influence that they have. And so meekness is that power under control. And so the ultimate of wisdom is to be meek. But maybe before we go any further and diving into wisdom today, we need to make sure that we're clear on our definition of wisdom. When we talk about wisdom as a group, when we talk about wisdom as believers, we're talking about wisdom being following God's design for your life. And I will tell you straight up, I don't think God cares about the color of carpet in your house. I don't think he cares too much about where you eat lunch today. But I do think that God has an overall greater design for your life and a plan that he wants you to follow. And so for us, when we talk about wisdom, we're talking about how to follow that plan. And I want to make sure that we're clear that there's a difference between wisdom and smarts. Okay, smarts, intelligence, those sorts of things, they're very different things. The smartest man who ever lived, uh, according to most people, is a man named William William James Sidus. And William James Sidus was born in early 1900s, and he's widely regarded as the most brilliant man to ever live. It's believed his IQ is estimated to be between, somewhere between 50 and 100 points higher than Albert Einstein's. He could read the New York Times before he was two. At age six, he, he understood and could speak English, Latin, French, German, Russian, Hebrew, Turkish, and Armenian. At age 11, he enrolled in Harvard University as one of their youngest students ever, and before he was 16, had received multiple degrees and was then employed by Harvard as a professor. Here's what's interesting. At age 16, he was a professor at Harvard, but it turns out that most students at Harvard had no interest in learning from the only person in the room who couldn't drive themselves to class that day. Like everyone else drove to class and his mom dropped him off and they're going, we don't care what you say. And it's the difference between smarts and wisdom. In fact, Sidus was so plagued by how smart he was and how prodigious his talent was that he was soon fired by Harvard because he was being bullied by students. Like stuffing him in his locker, I guess, after class. I don't know. But he was soon resigned from Harvard, and he tried several different colleges until eventually he began living his life in relative anonymity, and he began working menial uh, hand labor jobs and just writing on the side in pen names because he had been such so cursed by his own intelligence. So there's a difference between being smart and being wise. The difference between smart and wise looks like this. The difference between smart and wise is the smart person sees the referee make a bad call, and the smart person lets him know that he made a bad call. The wise person sees the referee makes a bad, make a bad call and hopes, I think he's gonna make up for that for us later. I'm not going to say anything right now. The smart person, the smart person knows that the white rectangular speed limit signs are enforceable by law. You have, if you are caught going faster than that, you're in trouble, you get the ticket, right? But they also know that the yellow sign that says there's a curve ahead 35 miles an hour, they know that that's just a recommendation. You don't have to do that. You aren't breaking the law. But the wise person knows that there is an engineer somewhere who designed that curve in the road who knows you're much safer taking that curve at 35 miles an hour. And they know that they wouldn't get a ticket for going 55 miles an hour on the curve, but they also know that the wise thing to do is take the curve slowly and safely. The smart person hears his wife make a grammatical mistake during an argument and corrects her grammar. The wise person thinks about his wife's grammatical mistake and then goes ahead and apologizes without even correcting it for even having thought that she made a grammatical mistake during the argument. I heard that from someone else once, so it doesn't happen at my house. This is the difference between smart and wise. This is the difference between intelligence and wisdom. Perhaps it's easier to understand the opposite of what wisdom is. The opposite of what wisdom is, James describes in chapter 3, verse 14 like this, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So what is the opposite of wisdom? The wise choice to make? If the, if, the, if the choice is between something that gets me somewhere and something that isn't selfish, it's obvious. If the choice is between my own ambitions and the greater good for all of humanity, the wise choice then becomes simple, Right? So if your neighbor comes tomorrow, comes home tomorrow with a brand new car in the parking lot and you see that it has the mahogany interior and the 1080p DVD player in the back and 25-inch rims, is that something people care about anymore? I don't even know about cars. And you see your neighbor has everything you want in a car and you realize that my bank account says no and, and my, everything in my life says no, but i got to have a car like that to look like them. The wise choice probably isn't to buy that car. But if your family's in need of a car because the family's growing or the old one's breaking down, then the the wise choice becomes buying a reasonable, moderate-level car, if that's what you can afford. For your job, if there's a promotion being offered, that means spending way more time away from home, way later nights at work, but it means more money, and it means a better title on your business card that you get to hand out at your 20-year class reunion. If there's a job that means it's going to be more work, it's going to be harder, it's going to drive you away from your family, whereas the job you have now is, isn't as great, isn't as glamorous, but you get to be home every night and you get to put the kids to bed, the wise choice is the one that's better for everyone. The truth about wisdom is this. J.I. Packer says it this way. He says, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal with the surest means of attaining it. What is the best and highest goal? It's a goal that is focused not on ourselves, but on what we refer to as the glory of God. Wisdom is the choice that then brings the glory not to us, that brings the fame, the power, the prestige not to us, but to the God that we serve and the Jesus we're trying to follow. So for a lot of us, perhaps the best question, the most important question we can ask is then What's the best thing for God's kingdom? You see, the wise choice isn't what's best for me, but it's what's best for God's kingdom. And this is a difficult question to ask. It's a simple sentence. It's not that hard. But it's a difficult question to ask because it means we're going to have to do something that's hard. It means we're going to have to do something that might not be as self-serving as we'd prefer if we were being honest. And so when when it comes time to ask what's best for the kingdom of God, what's best for my family, what's best for everyone besides me, it it gets a little difficult to act on, doesn't it? The ultimate book of wisdom is the book of Proverbs. It's written in the Old Testament before Jesus came to earth. And there in the book of Proverbs, is written by a guy named Solomon. And Solomon had a special gift. God came to him in a vision and said, I'll give you anything you want, what do you want? And Solomon, over money, over power, over fame, Solomon asked for wisdom. And so eventually Solomon sits down and writes the book of Proverbs, which most of my friends and I refer to as the original Twitter, because it's a bunch of sentences, one off right after another, of that offer some incredibly wise and incredibly insightful things for us as people to know. One of the most important ones that he writes is in Proverbs chapter 14, where he says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. And so you perhaps for you, in the midst of the decision you're thinking about making, you're seeing that your decision could be one of those that leads to death. And you're thinking, I know I shouldn't go on a date with this guy, but, I mean, things could be worse, right? I, I, know, I know who he is, I know how he acts, but hmm, you never know. Or you're thinking, I-, I know that it's more money, and I know that it's more time away, but my kids will understand someday when they drive a nice car that they didn't see me until, I, until they were 21, right? They'll, they'll get it. Or, or when you're thinking, I know, that, I know that I shouldn't be talking to this member of the opposite sex at work, but they really understand all of my problems. And I know the wise thing to do would be stay away from them because they keep flirting, but it really makes me feel good. And eventually, it's the way that leads to death. You'll notice, um, if you've been around for very long, you'll notice that it's peculiar that I have a bottle of water with me today. For a long time, I have been putting, uh, this is a confession for most of you, I've been putting water into the coffee cups that we serve because I don't drink coffee. And so I just have water on hand in case I get thirsty. And so last week in between services, I was sitting in the back of the sound booth fixing some things on my slides that I had messed up, and I reached for my coffee cup and I, that I thought was water, and I took a drink, and it was not, in fact, coffee, but it was week-old coffee, not W-E-A-K, as in seven days before someone had left it there, and we had, not, we had missed it when we were cleaning up the sound booth. And so I drank lumpy, moldy coffee for just a split second that I think had some creamer in it, and it was the most foul thing I've ever tasted in my entire life. So now the lesson that I've learned is I only drink water in this building out of a bottle because there is one way that leads to death and that is trusting that the cup i'm reaching for is the cup that belongs to me and there's a way that leads to life and it's seeing very clearly and evidently that this is my bottle of water so the question becomes how do you get this wisdom Outside of life experience that teaches us lessons, how do we learn the lessons before the test? How do we get the wisdom? And I I think there's three things. If you're a person who takes notes, I want to challenge you to write these down, put them on your phone, memorize them, whatever. But take these three down because this is how we get the wisdom to know what God wants us to do. This is how we get the wisdom, to know what Jesus is planning for us. The first way we get it is we ask God for it. I know that sounds really crazy, but when we pray, so often we pray that God would, would give us money. So often we pray that he would give us health. We pray that he would help us get an A on that test tomorrow. Whatever it is we're praying about. But perhaps the most important thing we need to do is we just need to say, God, grant me the wisdom to know what you want me to do. In fact, James says earlier in James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. So James is telling you if you don't have wisdom, if you don't know the answer, the easiest way to find the answer is to ask God. If you're a parent or if you had parents growing up, you'll understand this analogy. Imagine that we go home today and your kid walks in the room and their kid says, Mom, can I have a list of chores to do this afternoon? I just want to help. You're going to give them a list of chores right away, right? Because this is what's best for the family. It's what's best for everyone involved if they have a list of ways they can help. But if your kid comes home today and you say, what do you guys want for lunch? And your kid says ice cream, you're going to say no, right? Because you're reasonable, smart people and you don't feed your kids ice cream for a meal, right? So this is is what's happening. If you're asking God for money, for stuff, for cars, whatever, that's one thing. But if we're asking God for wisdom to know what he wants us to do, he's going to pour it out over and over again and say, yes, I want you to have it. The second way that you can acquire this wisdom is that you can weigh your decision against Scripture. So you can say, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, wants me to move in. And I know we're not married, and I know that God doesn't want us to have sex before marriage, but it'll save some money, so I think the wise thing to do is save money. But if you search through Scripture, it doesn't take you long to see that God has a different plan for marriage. And you can say, I know my boss wants me to cheat, but I've got a really good job and things are going well, so I'm going to go ahead and cheat. You you can look easily in Scripture and see that God's plan is for you to have integrity and honesty. This is what James says at the end of James chapter 3. He says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It is impartial and sincere. So how do you know what the wise thing to do is? Is you weigh it against what Scripture says, right? You'll see that a a godly wisdom is pure, peaceable, gentle, full of mercy. But the opposite of godly wisdom is full of selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. The third way that you can find that wisdom that we seek, the third way that you can be confident in the answers that we're seeking, is that you can seek wise counsel. And I want to tell you this right now, okay, lean in very closely, this might be the most important thing I tell you today. You will not find wise counsel on Facebook. There are great people who are my friends, most of you are, I ask you fun questions, but if I have an earnest, honest question about what I need to do with my life, I'm not asking you all on Facebook, okay, so so just so you know, the wisest people you know probably aren't sitting on Facebook all day answering your comments. The wisest people you know may be people in this room. One of the reasons that we're passionate about being a multi-generational church is that there are people in this room who have yet to be married, and there are people in this room who have been married for 50-some years. And there are people in this room who aren't parents yet who want to be, and there are people in this room who who raised wonderful kids that we all hope our kids would be like. And so our goal in being a multi-generational church isn't just to get a bunch of group-thinking 29-year-olds all together who all look, think, and act the same way, but it's to get different generations together in groups and in life and in different situations so that we can lean on each other and seek wise counsel and say, I see your kids are how I want my kids to be. How do I get my kids there? Or you can say as the older generation, I wish my kids were where yours are. Here's where I messed up and you can probably do better. And when we seek that wise counsel, and when we ask people around us and we weigh it against Scripture and we've asked God for help, then all of a sudden God's plan becomes much more clear. So if we're asking ourselves the honest question, what is best for the kingdom of God? And if we're asking God for that wisdom, and if we're seeking godly counsel, and if we're weighing it against Scripture, it's going to be much more clear what God's design for our life is. It's not always going to be easy, and it's not always going to be obviously A, B, or C. But the fact of the matter and the bottom line is this, that if we've sought this godly counsel, and if we're sure that what we're doing isn't what's just best for us, but it's best for the kingdom of God, then we can be confident that we're living inside of God's plan. And I know for some of you, the, the, the very first question out of your mind is, well, why do I care about what's best for anybody besides me? Why do I care about what's best for anyone outside of my life? And for you, I I have to point you to the ultimate example. I point you to the ultimate example of the God who created the universe. And this God who created the universe desired to be in a relationship with the universe that he created. But because of evil, because of struggle, because of pain in our lives, because of the bad things that were happening, because of sin, God then departed from us because he couldn't be around us and he couldn't be near us but in order to restore that relationship he didn't ask what can i do that's best for me he asked what can i do that's best for the kingdom what can i do that's best for all of humanity and he sent his son jesus and jesus came to earth and he didn't come to earth for his own purpose but he came to earth for you and i he came to earth for our purpose And so in the ultimate act of wisdom, God sent his son Jesus to save us. To save us from the eternal suffering, to save us from the eternal pain and torture that we were due. You see, on the surface, it doesn't look smart. Jesus is God's only son. Why would he give up his only son? Why would he watch him be tortured? Why would he watch him die? Why would he let him be rejected? And the fact of the matter is, is that it wasn't smart, but it was wise. Because it was best for all humanity and all of the kingdom. So here in just a moment, as the men pass the bread and the cup, I want you to take that chance to remember that when I choose differently, when I choose not what's best for me, but what's best for the kingdom, I'm choosing that to honor the very God who chose what was best for me over him. And who chose what was best for the kingdom and sent his son to die and his body broken and his blood shed for